Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Happy Father's Day to all of you fathers out there. Well, thank you very much. I am a father. I'm excited about being a father. Uh, today, we're going to continue in our series in Romans, obviously. Nothing new here. Uh, we're going to walk through Romans 4 today. But before we do that, just want to take a moment just to address a few things with, with you who, who call this church your home. Uh, when the summer months come, what ends up happening a lot is, is we just get this kind of sway in attendance, and, and it's based upon several things, you know, vacations and weather and all sorts of things. But, but the thing is, is the, the things that we do on Sunday, as far as a Sunday experience, they don't change. And we need people to help in those areas to make sure that they go well. And today I just want to highlight uh, a particular area, knowing that all the areas of ministries that we, we do could use help, but just want to highlight Kidstown. Kidstown, like, is maybe the best thing we do at life. It is maybe the best thing we do at life. And, and the people that serve there serve diligently. And the, and the people that coordinate it, you talk about Betsy Gerber, and you talk about Melissa Thompson and Sarah Windsor, they just pour their hearts into creating environments and creating curriculum that teach our kids and help them to learn to love the gospel. And they're amazing people. And they've put great effort into this. We have great volunteers who just diligently give their time without asking. But these ladies and these volunteers, they need our help. We constantly have people who serve within our children's ministry who, because we need it, serve at both services regularly. And they don't get an opportunity to sit in this room with their families. And that's just not acceptable to me. I think that we can help in this area. I think as a church, we can help them. We are having conversations right now about what we have to do in July because we're con conversating about having to shut down Kidstown because we just don't have enough help. Here's the schedule for July. All that red is things that aren't filled. So today, I'm just coming before you today and saying like, can you help? It is all of our responsibility to help raise up the next generation of God's people, regardless of what stage of life we're in or what season of life we're in, we need to help. So question to you is, can you help? And if you can, will you please talk to one of the ladies in the kids' town booth? Because we, listen, this is an issue that we want to deal with. We want to create a culture within our church where people come to church, our church owners, and not just church attenders. And will you pray for us how we navigate through this and uplift the attitude of service? Not because we want we want people to give service to our church. We want to glorify God by the way we handle ourselves. So will you consider that, please? And just speaking of Kids Town and Melissa Thompson, just a dear lady, um, she's served this church faithfully for years. And uh, this season of life that she is in is going to ask her to make the decision to step down from employment here at Life Community Church. And uh, I just, I'm remiss to say that I'm going to miss her being an employee here, but I know that she's going to be a fixture within our child care. If you see her today, she's not going anywhere, but if you see her today, will you let her know how thankful you are for her service and how much we appreciate her because she deserves it? Can you please do that for me? All right, let's jump into Romans 4 today. Uh, we're going to continue in this ser service or series. If, if we look at Romans, our subheading for this series is called Thinking Rightly About God. One of the things that Romans affords us as believers is great theology. It's a great book of theology. 
So we want to take this thought of thinking rightly about God into this Romans 4 text, and, and we're going to talk about faith, and we want to know how we think rightly about faith. And so a little pop quiz for you this morning. Probably weren't expecting to be tested today. Don't be nervous. First question that we have to answer is, what is faith? I laid out multiple choice answers in your bulletin. What is faith? Is it belief? Is it trust? Is it devotion? Is it conviction? Maybe circle your answers in your bulletin. This is what we want to answer today. We all have these ideas surrounding faith. What I wonder sometimes is where these ideas and faith come from. Do they come from your own experiences? Do they come from your own mind? Do they come from what other people say? Or do they come from the Bible? Because it matters. It matters where we get our ideas about faith from. Because if we get this fundamental issue of faith wrong as a Christian, we are creating unstable foundations in our life in which will rob our abilities to be lovers of God, to be, rob our abilities to be grace givers, rob our abilities to have sustained joy and have hope in hopeless situations. And I believe that it is clear in Scripture that faith is what engages the heart towards devotion. And that faith produces changed lives. And it's not just believing in God and that he loves our flawed selves, our choices, our decisions, and our habits. And that's it. I think there is more to faith. And I want to talk about that today. So let's really dig into Romans 4 and a few other verses to help us think rightly about faith. Paul says something in Romans 4 that I think is a great thing for all of us to be in the habit of doing. Paul says this, he asks this question, what does the scripture say? For what does the scripture say? And I think in any area in our Christian faith, that should be a question that we ask all the time. So let's do that together. We're going to jump into Romans 4, starting in verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justified the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So Paul is writing to both the Jews and the Gentiles in Rome and trying to get them to understand proper theology and faith. And trying to help the Jews grasp this idea of faith, Paul is going to bring in the patriarch of the Jewish faith in Abraham. And he does this because he knows these Jewish men and women would be familiar with Abraham and his life. And in Romans 4, Paul is referencing the covenant that God made with Abraham in chapter 15 of Genesis. I just want to read a segment out of Genesis 15, verses 5 and 6. This is part of the covenant. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed, Abraham believed, 
and he counted it to him as righteousness. Paul is building a case here that justification in the eyes of God has nothing to do with your work, but everything to do with your faith. And he says, look, I can show you this by example in the life of a man that you love and revere in Abraham. So Paul's argument is this, that you, we, are declared righteous by faith and not by works. That we are declared righteous by faith and not by works. And this is the fundamental principle in all of Protestantism. This is the issue that separated the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church. In Latin, it says sola fide, sola fide, by faith alone, that there is nothing that you and I could ever do to earn what God did for us, that you and I will never be good enough for God through human effort alone. And what Paul is going to use to expound upon this argument is Abraham's circumcision. And let's read that together in Romans 4, verses 9 through 12. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised, for also for the, or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. And the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would not be counted to them as well, would counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Now that's just a lot of circumcision going on right there, okay? So Gentlemen, I don't know if there's guys just like, please stop. Just stop. Okay? What Paul is doing is he's speaking out against this belief that the Jews had that circumcision was the act that made you righteous. It was what made you God's elect. And he says, look, was he considered righteous before his circumcision or after his circumcision? It was before. Abraham, in Genesis 15, his faith is credited to him as righteous. He is not circumcised into Genesis 17. Most people believe there's at least a 14-year window between those two chapters, at most 30 years. So it cannot be circumcision that equates his righteousness. It is his faith. It's because of this understanding that we know that God rewards righteousness and holiness by faith in him, which means for these people in Rome in this context, it's just not for the Jews. It's for all who believe. And the act itself of circumcision reeks of metaphor. For its simplest explanation is the removal of flesh. God's sign of his covenant with Abraham is metaphorical in nature, saying that he was going to remove the flesh out of the deal here. That righteousness would not be granted based upon works of the flesh or works of the people, but by him, by him alone. So you are declared righteous by faith and not by works. Now, this is, in, this is extremely important. When we read about something in Scripture, we don't want to be people that camp out on one particular section 
in Scripture. We want to bring in the whole breath, the whole story of Scripture. And if we look at the word in this area of faith, we're going to find a little diversity in this topic of faith versus works. There is a verse in particular that, that could make this cloudy if we don't understand it properly. And the verse that I'm talking about comes out of James chapter 2, and it starts in 14. And I just want you to notice that maybe there's a different tone to what James is writing here uh, if we don't understand what's going on. So this is what it says in James 2. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. But even the demons believe that and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his work, and faith was completed by his work. And scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messenger and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Did you catch the difference there? Different tone. So what are we going to do with that? If we might read just this section about faith and works, we might, we might get a different conclusion. Is the, is the Bible contradicting itself? That's a fair question to ask. Of course it's not. Of course it's not. James is not disagreeing with Paul. He's just expounding on faith and works in a different way. This is what he says. He's not arguing that faith doesn't save. In 22, he says, you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. James is expounding on this issue of faith and works, but he is not contradicting Paul. Paul is saying the same thing himself, but just in a different manner. In Romans 3, at the tail end, the last verse, Paul says this, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? Of course not. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Paul is saying, look, we're not throwing out the law here. This isn't a free-for-all, but we are not trying to gain righteousness through obedience to the law any longer. And he's saying that faith isn't the end game in this. It's not the end goal. Faith produces within us the full benefit of what Christ did for us on the cross. It creates within us a new heart of obedience because of his grace and his love for us. And Paul writes about it in Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, not only that, 
but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So what is the trigger that begins the process of peace and then hope and joy and the production of endurance and faith? It's faith. Faith is the trigger that starts the process that we call sanctification. That one, that we all would grow more and more like the Son, more and more like Christ every day that we live on this earth. And James is absolutely correct when he says that faith without works is dead because faith produces more than just belief. Faith produces more than just belief. There's a story of this old Scotsman who has a rowboat and he has a transportation business that goes across a river. One day, a um, patron comes in and, and, and buys his services and he's in the boat and the guy begins to row and he notices on his oars, his two oars, that he's got this little rowboat. On one is carved works and the other is carved faith and he's curious. And so he asks this old Scotsman, hey, what's the deal with works and faith on these two different oars? And being a well-balanced Christian, this Scotsman was glad to take the opportunity. He said, well, let me tell you, and let me show you. So he, he took the faith paddle, and he put it in the boat, and he started a row with works paddle. And the boat just kind of kept going in circles. And then he put the works paddle in the boat, and he put the other row of faith into the water. He began to row, and, and the boat then just went in circles again, just this time in a different direction. And then he said, then he grabbed both of the oars, put him in their slots, and he began to speedily cross the river, all the time saying this to them. You see, that is the way it is in the Christian life. Dead works without faith are useless, and faith without works is also dead, getting you nowhere. But faith and works pulling together make for safety, progress, and blessing. And if there is a place that we can get off track in the area of faith, uh, there are multiple places, but this is one that we can now, we certainly can get off track in the area of faith by thinking our works determine our salvation, that we somehow believe that coming to church and tradition and Bible study, all important things, but sometimes we believe that they are doctrine of salvation, that that's what God saves us by. And we've talked about that. That's not it. We talked about that last week. Chad addressed it, and we, we saw it in Abraham's circumcision. What I tend to be more concerned about today within our culture is this idea that faith becomes something that we just hold as a belief and not something that we hope in. That we have, what I have experienced, I should say, in this area of faith in our local church and in places that I've served or worked in is this minimization of obligation in faith. Minimization of the ob or obligation in faith and the emphasis on belief from faith. Try to explain that. We seemingly have adopted this American entitlement idea in the area of faith that says, I need to minimize my cost in this, right? Minimize my effort in this, but I still desire to receive all the benefit and all the profit that comes from faith. We can often replace the word faith with just belief. And these two terms have commonality. But I think that the way that we use them in today's culture, they're drastically different. To have belief is to say, I believe something's true. 
To have faith is to rely on or surrender to what we believe to be truth. Belief is where faith starts. It's not where it ends. And today it seems that belief often lives in the emotional realm. I have great belief today, but come back tomorrow because my circumstances may have changed and you can ask me if I have great belief tomorrow. It might change. And this is because belief lives in the mind, but faith finds its home in the spirit. Belief lives in the mind, but faith finds its home in the spirit. There's a comedian, I don't endorse him, his name is Louis C.K. He has a bit in, in his, one of his uh, stand-up acts that says this. He says, I have a lot of beliefs and I live by none of them. That's just the way I am. They're just my beliefs. I just like believing them. I like that part. They're my little believies. They make me feel good about who I am. But if they get in the way of a thing that I want, I sure as heck just do what I want. Does that describe any of us? Because look, I believe that I need water for existence and vitality, but I have not once today thought about my need for water or where I'm going to get water. In fact, I can't even think of a time in the last month where I thought where I'm going to get water or, man, I need some water. But you know what changes that? If I don't have it. Let's just say I came to you and, and I thought, we're going to take a trip together and it's going to be epic and we're going to do something extreme, like so extreme like cross the Sahara Desert by camel. Right? And I convince you that this is a great idea, which do not ever let me convince you that that's a great idea. That's a really dumb idea. But the sake for this argument, let's pretend I convince you. What will our first priority be? Water. How are we going to ration it? Where are we going to get it from? How are we going to carry it? So what changed upon the situation I have today and if I was going to go to Sahara? It was my understanding of my need for it. When you need something, it creates urgency to do something. And I think all of us Christians in this culture should be concerned about our culture's ability to make us think that what we believe is simply communicated and not acted upon. If someone were to ask what we believed in or try to figure out what we believe in, where would they go? For many of us in this culture, it would be our social media profiles, maybe our bumper stickers, the shirts that we wear, the things that are in our house, not necessarily by the things that we do, because we love to hold beliefs that cost us nothing. We seemingly have an opinion on everything, and it doesn't matter if I do anything for it. And if we're not careful, if we are not careful, faith just becomes an opinion. Well, I believe that's true. I believe that's true. And that's where it ends. So what happens, and this is tragic, because this happens all the time. We have people that come to church, or people that come to faith, and they stay with it for a little while, and then they leave. And then they say this phrase. I've had this phrase say, said to me. Um, it just didn't work for me. Christianity just didn't, didn't work for me. Well, did it not work? Or did this culture train us to believe that we can have something with no cost to self, that it should do everything for us. And just to show you an example of a secular issue and how this is bleeding into our faith, I'm just gonna highlight the area of diet. 
Everyone seems to want to lose weight in this culture or think that they need to lose weight. So in America, we are always in search of the ultimate diet. And we love a good diet. Or we, th- we love the thought of an easy diet. And it's so trendy too. We move from one to the next, to this one, to this one, to this one. I've been in living rooms where there's 20 diet books on one coffee table. And then we hear, hey, Oprah just lost 20 pounds. How did she do it? I want to find out. I want to be in that. Diets today can be crazy, and they can be good. They can be good. Not to say that, but things can get crazy. We have like the keto diet, which is a twist on the Atkins diet, high proteins, high fat, low carbs. And then we have paleo diet, which I've, I've tried because somebody said, like, all you do is eat meat, man. All you do is eat. And I was like, sign me up for that. Okay? And then there's crazy things like, I don't know if you've heard of this, like ear stapling. Has anybody heard of this? Ear stapling. It's trendy right now. What they do is they staple a piece of your cartilage in your inner ear that is connected to the pressure point that associates itself with hunger to suppress it. It's crazy. But you know what? Here's the crazy thing. I wouldn't be surprised at the end of the service if somebody went, hey, tell me more about that ear thing. Kind of figuring that out. <laughs> We go from one trend to the next, desperate to find the miracle fix, and we do laughable things to our bodies to get it. We want to take all the work out of dieting. We want the easy button. We want that pill. We want all the results and none of the effort. A diet is one thing, right? But having faith in Jesus is another thing altogether. While a healthy physical life is important, obviously, securing eternity And the abundant life that Jesus Christ came here to give us is obviously far more important than that. And we cannot afford to continue to have laughable faith fats on our bookshelves and in our minds that last no longer than some of the diets that we try. But thankfully, there is hope. There is a real plan for spiritual health, for a faith that works, and you can find it in the Bible. There's no quick fix. There's no fad that will instantly take you to a higher level of maturity in Christianity. But there is a plan that will work as long as we're willing to put action to it. Look, we should be very hopeful that there's this plan. And we need to reject this attitude like we have in dieting when it comes in faith. We need to reject this entitlement idea and we need to reject this apathy in our faith And we do that partly by fully understanding your fundamental need for Christ and surrendering to him in his way. Last week, Chad very eloquently helped us to understand our need for him. We talked about how bad we are, how corrupt our hearts are, and then how good God is, that we are worse than we probably think we are, and God was unimaginably better than we possibly could ever imagine. And if we hold on to that, that brings faith. And if I could give you a practical lesson, a roadmap for increased faith, that would be my number one. Know your position and rely on him. You are a created being, created by a good God who loves those who believe in him. And he is so good, so awesome, so glorious that he cannot be around sin and imperfection. And we, through our own decisions, have decided to go our own way. And this world is broken and we are broken. And it's because of that brokenness that our relationship with God is fractured. But we praise God because there is some good news. In Romans 5, verses 6 through 11, it says this, For while we were still weak, 
at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even, to even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we are also rejoicing in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We have to remember that we were once enemies of God, but now we are the adopted sons and daughters of the Most High God. We know our position and we rely on it. Proverbs 3, one of the most known pieces of scripture, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Rick Warren says this way when talking about faith. Anytime we demonstrate faith, we're relying on something. When you sit in a chair, you're relying on a chair's manufacturer to provide something that will hold you up. When you're driving on the freeway, you're relying on other people to not mess this thing up. Faith in God means that we rely on him and depend on his reliability. Having faith means realizing that God is bigger and greater and better than me, and he loves me greatly. The problem with relying on yourself is that we are often wrong. Human intuition is not always reliable. In fact, we're just good enough to think we're right, even when we're not. Genuine faith is relying on God's direction and who he is because God is reliable. He knows what you need. He wants to meet those needs. Unfortunately, we think that our way is better, that we know better. We have a better plan. And we want to use our logic to get the answer that makes us look good. And it doesn't require much risk. But God wants to take us in a different direction. He wants us to grow. And there are many times in Scripture that God says something that doesn't make sense to us. For instance, like Mark 10, where he says, whoever wants to be a leader must be a servant. To most people, that verse doesn't make sense because leaders have people who serve them. But Jesus takes it in a different direction here. He says, those who want to be great, those who lead must be a servant. We need to trust in God's greatness, not what I think. So because we trust him, we obey what he says, even if it doesn't make sense to us. Know your position and rely on him. The second marker on this roadmap is to understand faith means trust. I, I don't believe that it's okay just to say I believe in this culture. I don't think the way that we uphold that word in belief, I just think it has lost some oomph to it. Do you trust God? In fact, it may be better for you to substitute the word in your head, faith with trust, belief with trust. Do you trust him? I have trusted Christ. I mean, do you believe that God is good? But do you trust that? Do you believe that God can do the impossible? But do you trust that? Do you believe that God loves you? But do you trust that? Do you believe that God has a purpose for you in his life, in your life? But do you trust it? Do you believe that God will sustain you? But do you trust it? Trust in the Lord with all of our hearts, with all of our mind, and all of our strength. And the third marker, and I will never be able to say this enough, love God's word. Love 
God's word. Read his word. Love his word. It was given to you for your benefit. Don't be one of those people that adopts all sorts of causes because they just want to have an opinion and know nothing about them. Don't be a Christian that claims it by name alone and does nothing to know him or about it. Get to know his words. They are a refreshing stream for those who call upon his name. It is a light unto our path, a guide for our hearts and our minds that we can be renewed by day in and day out, and we should let it be our standard. And the fourth point is obey. It's a tough word. Obedience. John 14, Jesus says this. Jesus' words, the Son of God. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my word, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. Jesus says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Can we just try to do what he says? Can we try to do what he says even if we don't feel like it in the moment. Because his commands are not foolish and they're not oppressive. They aren't there to rob you of fun. His way and his words are there to bring human beings the most flourishing in life that one possibly could have. They're there to bring us the most joy, bring us the most benefit of this broken life and this broken world until the day that we are with him in glory. And don't get caught up in this huge overarching theme of obedience where you think, I just, all these things that I have to do, just be obedient now. Just now. Don't think about tomorrow or, or a month from now. Just be obedient now. Just work in the moment. That's how obedience starts. It's just what I have in front of me. God, I want to be true to your word. I want to be obedient to who you are. Will you help me in that? So we walk in obedience. Faith is such a simple term, but there is so much to it. And so just to answer our pop quiz from today, our multiple choice questions from the beginning, what is faith? Belief, trust, devotion, conviction. That was kind of sort of a trick question. Apologize for that. It's all of the above. It's all of the above. It's a belief that Jesus Christ is absolutely who he said he was and a belief that we are way worse than we think we are, and a belief that he is way better than we could ever imagine. It is trusting in his sovereignty, trusting in his grace and his goodness. It is a devotion to his word. For there we will find refreshing water for our faith. And it is a conviction to live out our faith through obedience. Faith is what God uses to determine our righteousness. And that faith should produce more than just belief. Because belief lives in the mind. Faith finds its home in the spirit. And we build that faith by fully understanding our position and relying on him. Understanding that faith means trusting in him. We become lovers of God's word. And we walk in daily obedience to him because he knows best. That is faith. Let's pray. Father, I just come to you today and I just, I'm asking for myself and for everybody out here that you would move things in our hearts that we wouldn't view faith in the lens of an entitlement issue. That we would understand that faith produces 
And that, God, you love us too much to leave us to where we're at. And so, God, will you this week just help us to have honest conversations about our faith, honest questioning of who we are. And, God, will you love us and give us grace through the process. Help us to draw closer to you every day and walk obedient to you, become lovers of your word, and trust in you, Father. We love you, and we pray this in your awesome name. Amen.